1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to try, as I never really make it through uh, all that I intend to properly, but we're going to try for this chapter um, because I think the, ch- the chapter loses a little something when you chop it up. But the, the title of the message is Christ Above Divisions, and I might even put a question mark after the word divisions because the, the, the Sunday school answer Christian will go, well, of course, of course, Christ above divisions, but not so fast because there are so many divisions about people that are not Christ. And I'm talking about throughout history from Paul, Peter, Apollos, who we'll talk about those fellows in a second, all the way to John Calvin and Martin Luther, Joseph Arminius, you name it, the guys in that, that have been living uh, even recently, um, quote, heroes of the faith, guys that wrote 20 or 30 books that, that sold a million copies in the 1900s that, that maybe haven't been gone that long. J. Vernon McGee, um, these guys haven't been gone that long. These are gold standard radio programs, gold standard commentaries that a lot of people across many denominations do uh, look at their consular. They do look at their comments. But they should never be lifted to a point where you go, oh, you don't like uh, Joseph Arminius or you don't like John Calvin or you don't like this guy or that guy, whoever that is. Um, these, these heroes, if you will, that go back throughout history. I mean, John Calvin's been dead 400 plus years. But John Calvin has talked about, that name is talked about to this day often. Um, you don't have to go very far in Christian circles to get the, the word Calvinism or Arminianism. I mean, there's so many isms. I looked up, I looked up a website that talks about isms. There's so many isms, it would make your head spin. I mean, there's literally over 400 isms from the political, like socialism, communism, to the religious. Generally speaking, these isms are in religion and politics, and you can find divisions very easily in both of those. But throughout history, the one thing you can count on with people is conflict. People will always, always find themselves into conflict. Now, conflict isn't always bad. Sometimes conflict builds a relationship, and sometimes it can lead to good things. But sometimes in the world, it leads to infighting and eventually war in some cases. Unfortunately, the church and religion in general, I would say, even has more divisions because we are sected off. Sectarianism, Paul's going to talk about that in a second. But throughout history, there has been much to point to that is ugly in what is called the church, what is called the church. And I make the distinction between followers of Jesus Christ and church. Now, you shouldn't normally do that, but there are a lot of things that call themselves church. Um, I told you guys a few years back that a buddy of mine who is of Scottish descent went to his family's clan church in Scotland on vacation, and they went into their village church, which was a little bit smaller than this apparently, and the pastor gave them a goodwill toward man message, and they went off and got hammered all afternoon. And that's what the church is. That's their Church of Scotland. Um, and because they're Scottish and because they're, so, they're such patriots, that's all categorized under Protestantism slash Church of Scotland. The, uh, the Europeans have many state churches. I would hardly call most of those people followers of Christ if you know where they stand doctrinally, but it's still called church to people. So we'll use that term. The saddest part, though, is when well-meaning churches are fighting about non-essentials. There's, there's definitely a fight to be had in essentials, but not in non-essentials. Uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 3, 
Paul says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal or fleshly, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for now, for until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. Paul had been gone. He had been there a while, 18 months-ish, and had left and written this letter because there was a lot of reporting back that there was issues in this church, a ton of issues in this church. A lot of great people, a lot of great well-meaning people, but just like any other church, they had issues, and they didn't necessarily have the right people handling those issues. And so you, you do, you know, you, refer, you revert back to a lot of times in their day, the church planter. People will listen to the Paul if Paul spent that kind of time with them. Um, it wasn't like he was just writing a blind letter. He says in verse 3, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Carnal can mean a ton of things. It can mean, it can mean something kind of nasty sexual on one level, but it also can mean just earthly, just fleshly. And that's what Paul is talking about. In this case, he's saying you guys are acting like people of the world, not like a church. You are the church, but I can't even talk to you guys like mature believers because you guys are acting carnal, carnal. And did I say caramel? Freudian slip. I am always looking for caramel. Um, mm, there's a Belgian lady at, at the Tanky Birdie chocolate shop. Best chocolate I've ever had in my life. Thinking about it. Got to get some of those on the way out of town. Um, behaving like mere men. So he's, he's setting them up to where sometimes you want to keep somebody off balance when you're about to give them some harder news. And you, you say things like, well, I would tell you, but you can't handle it. Well, hold on a second. What can I handle? It's like in, in uh, car sales, the takeaway clothes. The customer wants the car. You can't agree, so you take it away. Eh, this car's probably not for you. Well, hold on a second. And now the ears perk up. In this case, weak and immature believers are, are in this case, acting like, and, and by this time, there should be some maturity here. Paulus has been through. Paulus is quite a, a man of God and quite a uh, teacher. Um, in this case, he says, you're spiritual babies. You know, I'd love to give you spiritual real food, spiritual meat, but I can't because you're not progressing. Now, this is an interesting thought. I'm going to try to weave this through in a few different places. But the true test of Christian maturity, not worldly maturity, but Christian maturity, is a person spiritually mature, is can you say anything to them? anything at all and have them literally stay in front of you and and have them not first jump to offense now it doesn't mean that your two christians are sitting down and you cuss the person out just to try and get them offended just to try to get them to leave it means that you're talking about hey i i have an issue and maybe i'm a little sensitive here and maybe i have maybe i have my facts wrong but i need to ask you about this whatever this is if the person goes well i don't even know who you think you're talking to Right off the bat, if a, if, a, if a well-meaning brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, I, it's not that I have something necessarily that I know I'm right about. It's not that I, quote, have something against you. It's I have an issue and I need to, I need to be honest with you about it. I need, to, I need to bring it to you and see if we can work this out, if we can, there is a conflict of some kind, if we can work this out and, and, and stay friends and stay sort of fellowshipping, if you will. So can you say, once again, Jesus 
people like to say that Jesus was this only grace, just he was like a he was like everybody's friend. He never never got mad. Like I, I've heard people say this before, and I'm like, what Bible do you read? Is Jesus an anger hall? No. Is Jesus like throughout the gospel just live angry? No, not at all. But did he get angry? Absolutely he got angry, but he got angry because of sin. Not because of others, not because somebody ordered something that he's like, I wanted the last one of those. No. It's like you go up to a donut shop and there's, there's one eclair left and somebody pops in front of Jesus and takes the last eclair and he's like, gotta be kidding me. No, not that kind of anger. That's definitely carnal behavior. And I have been accused when the caramels have been purchased before ahead of me. I've been accused. But when Jesus, and I, and I, I want to throw this out there. I don't know what kind of time I have, but I'm not trying to pick on John Calvin, specifically John Calvin. But when you look at, I'm probably going to mess some of this up, but I have most of the points proper. But John Calvin, when he went to Geneva, they adopted a government that you and I might call a theocracy, whereas the Bible becomes the governing law. In, in essence, the Ten Commandments and, and all of the things um, that you and I might go, ooh, man, thank God we're not under the law. Some of those things become law, okay? And so you have to live under them. One of them, why did the Pharisees want to kill Jesus? Because they said he was a blasphem blasphemer. He wasn't, but they said it. And so if you can get enough people in the government to say, hey, he deserves death. There was a guy, I forget the guy's name. There was a guy who was this way, and he was burned at the stake under John Calvin and under um, – the Geneva law, the theocracy that was, blasphemy was punishable by death. And so he had this guy. I mean, he didn't try and stop it. He wasn't the only member of the government. But I hear people say, we need a theocracy again. We need this theocracy. It's like, do you want to live under the law? Do you? I'm not saying that it's not a great thing to adhere to the Bible if you're the government. I'm not saying that. But when Jesus found the woman who was caught in the act, what was his response? Like, I know what Moses' response would have been because Moses would have had to have done what the law said. But what did they say? We found this girl, never mind that she was with one of our buddies in the hotel room that we bought for him and her, but he's fine somewhere else. He's not going to be under Mosaic law. But you, and if you say you're of God, what do you say we do with her? The Bible says we should stone her. And Jesus starts writing in the sand. Interesting. I wonder what he wrote when they all ran away. I wonder why in the world they would run away when he was writing stuff. Maybe he was just writing names and dates. Matthew, five weeks ago. Ooh, I gotta go. I got a thing. I gotta go. I'm not gonna, yeah, just don't, just don't worry about her. Kick her to the curb. Let's just kick her. Um, what did he say to her? He said, where are your accusers? And she goes, I don't know. They're gone. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. In other words, neither, neither do I accuse you under that law. Go and sin no more. Well, that's offensive, right? How about you just say the first thing, Jesus? Don't say sin. No, he did. He mentioned sin. So all the people that say, oh, Jesus would never, uh, he would never, he was so, he was, he's just, all he is is grace. He's a universalist. He's love wins out and all these other things. No, he mentioned sin all the time. He talked about it all the time. He got mad when people violated, took advantage of people. He got mad with the dishonest scales, if you will, of the Pharisees and of the money changers of the day. So 
to say that Jesus didn't ever mention things like that or, or Jesus never got angry or Jesus was um, like a pacifist in some way, shape, or form is not reading the actual Gospels. It's reading something else that you've made up. So he did. He did talk about those things. But notice people's approach to him. There's love with the grace and truth. Okay, so once again, you adopt a theocracy. My question is, did you ever do anything? If you're the government and you say the theocracy is this, whatever the law is, have you ever violated that? Well, once again, the Pharisees, who were very great law keepers, brought this girl in to set Jesus up. Had they ever sinned? In their heart, according to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, probably hourly, just like anybody else, but not publicly. They would never do such things. And so what, what we, have to, we have to remember that it's, it's, you, you have to be able to bring truth to people in a fellowship. You have to be able to say, hey, I noticed this was going on, or I noticed this was going on the other day. Do I have this wrong? Or like your approach has to be what the Bible would ask of you. And at the same time, the, the other Christian who you're talking to needs to be able to go, okay, I hear what you have said. And can I, can I say something? And can you stay for the, the duration of what I'm going to say? That's how you work these things out. But at the same time, there has to be grace with the truth. There can't just be like, all I do is just truth tell. All I do is throw bombs at people. All I do is, is I'm the discernment cop of the church. So I'm going to tell everybody what's wrong. And because that's my gift, nobody say anything to me because I have discernment. That's not how that works. Verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Another place in this chapter, he talks about Peter. Peter, Paul, Apollos, very different teaching styles, I imagine, very different giftings, I imagine. Paul and Peter, very different guys. If you really like one, you'll probably be a little rubbed wrong with the other in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I have to believe, based on reading between the lines of the scriptures that Paul and Peter were not best friends. Anybody who reads the New Testament knows that that's true. Um, Paul said, hey, I, when I went to Jerusalem, I opposed him to his face. I didn't pull him aside. I went right up to him. Hey, come here real quick. I don't want anybody to hear this. Hey, let me, let me, let me explain to you when you were eating with these people, and then when these people showed up, you weren't. Let me explain to you why both of us know that's wrong. I don't know how Paul said it. Paul's probably a little rough around the edges. I'm just guessing. But he says, when one of you guys says, I'm of Paul, I'm a, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. Servants. They're serving someone else. And yeah, God used them. God can use little kids and their giftings to bless you. God can use an old, old, old person that, that, may not even, they live in an assisted living home and they can't really get out like they used to. And their prayer ministry is unbelievable. I've seen this before. My great-grandmother was a prayer warrior. Her relationship with Jesus, I don't, I don't know that I've seen much like it in my entire life. When she was 91, 92 years of age. But ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Let me ask you a question. You ever farmed anything before? You throw down seeds. You throw a hose in the ground. The sprinkler turns on. That's it for you. God has to bring the sun up every single day and make photosynthesis work every single day. 
So who really gets the credit? God does. If you meet real farmers in places where it's, they're subject to dust bowl stuff and, and a drought and everything else, when the rains come, these people are like rain dancing. They're like praying. They're like thanking God for rain because they realize how, as a farmer, you, can be, you could just be absolutely wiped out quickly if, if the weather doesn't cooperate for your crops. These people back then, they didn't have two years of, of food sitting in warehouses all over America or, or wherever they were living all over the world. They didn't have this. We, we do. We have all this food. We never, we never go to fries and go, thank God there's beans on the shelf. We just assume they'll be there. But I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. The one that gave the actual spiritual increase, the one that gave you salvation, was not me or Apollos. It was God. So then neither he who plants is anything. It's very important. Nor he who waters, but God. Many times you see that in the, in the New Testament, but God. Because people do one thing, and then God comes in. And he uses very, very imperfect people. He uses cracked pots. God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. So in this case, Paul, uh, Paul, Paul's not knocking Apollos at all. He's not saying, well, if you're in Apollos, Apollosism church, you're wrong. Uh, if you're a Peterism church, you're wrong. Um, to quote the great philosopher from 40 years ago, Ferris Bueller, um, isms, in my opinion, are not good. There's very few great isms out there. I'm not saying there's not one great ism, but generally speaking, they get real narrow. When isms become a thing, they, be, they get real narrow. So Paul is really trying to once again direct these people back to I don't care who your teacher is. I don't care who your missionary is. I don't care who your pastor is. I don't care who the founder of the church is. And that was me by, in this case, uh, Paul, who wrote this to you. God gives the increase, and he and I are nothing. We're just servants. Um, watering, planting, once again. I've done it as a little kid sometimes in, in kindergarten. You stick a little rye seed in an old solo cup, stick it in the window, and literally in four days you got like a little grass stalk. That's, that's insane that that even happens. It happens every single time. That's God. God is the great farmer. God is the great provider. He says, for we, um, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and others and and. Another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, once again, if you've ever built a building, if you've ever built like a little makeshift building, foundation is huge. Um, you know, there are people who throw barns out, you know, in the middle of nowhere and they're on the dirt. And if it's high enough and if the weather cooperates, maybe it'll last a little while. But you don't build stuff without a serious foundation. You don't build stuff without a, quote, footer. Around this building, the, the edges are way down deep in the earth, and the pad is filled in, and the building sits on it, and that's why it lasts. I mean, it, this building's 70-something years old. Granted, it needs a little help, but the bones are good because it was built on a great foundation. In this case, he's saying the only thing that matters is the thing you lay it on, and that is Christ. So 
there's a lot of churches. There may be some more churches that pop up in your little town. I mean, we're one of the least church cities in America, and there's hundreds of churches in this town, hundreds. Um, many of them you haven't heard of. Many of them are in little houses. There's one a few blocks down that has a few people in it, and they're meeting in a duplex, and they've been around for 40 years. Um, and I just met the pastor recently. No website, no sermons online, can't find them. It's just a little church, and they're preaching the word. God bless. It's amazing. Um, but no other foundation can anyone lay. If, if, you're, if you're a minister or you're a church planter or you're a missionary or whatever, you lay the foundation of Christ before the people. You have to. You can't lay anything. Well, you know, first off, we have to make sure that there's a baptismal because the people can't get saved unless they're baptized. Oh, eh, wrong already. Let's not start that church. That's not the foundation. Baptism is an ordinance. Jesus demonstrated. He asked us to do it, but he never said, if you're baptized, that's good enough. Just get baptized. You can live however you want. That'll get you into heaven. Never said that. But there's churches that basically preach that. Maybe not that way, but they basically preach that. There's churches that preach that you have to do this, this, and this in order to get salvation. Once again, these are sects. He says sectarianism is carnal. How many church denominations are there? Mm, I lost count at like 50 in America alone. 50. I'm not even talking about the Protestant Catholic derivatives in, in Europe. That's probably another 50. Uh, however many countries there are and however many um, specific provinces there are, there's different, like, well, we're a little different than them. We believe this. Why are we not starting with the right foundation? If you're a church, the essential is Christ. The essential is the foundation. It's like building the roof first. How do you do it? I don't know. I, I don't know why in the world you'd start a roof before you built anything else. But sometimes people do it. They do things like that. So he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. When you look at the things he talked about in verse 12, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, those are obviously of different value to you and I. Okay, We look at that and we go, ah, oh, gold, I want to be a gold standard missionary, or I want to be a gold standard pastor, I want to be a gold, whatever it is. If you're in, um, in the faith, you want that. Nobody, nobody's like, well, I hope I can do some straw-type work for the Lord. Straw is worthless, okay? Even animals won't eat it. It's dumb animals that I have eat it, but there's no nutritional value in it. But at the same time, if somebody does something that you and I deem as low-end, or, eh, that, you know, that ministry, it's not really yielding very much, or it's not that important, and, and the Lord goes, hey, it survived fire. It's like gold. It's like silver. A, per, a person that is, is nothing in the, in the eyes of maybe the Christian public, if you will, that person, if that person has a small ministry and they're doing it onto the Lord, that ministry will survive through judgment, through the, quote, testing. And at the same time, there's people who have what looks like gold, and they're really famous. They're a famous, famous Christian celebrity. I can name many, but I won't. 
And that person, it looks like they have done so many amazing things for God. And then you find out, hmm, at the end of their life, there was a lot of other stuff going on too that wasn't so good. Who knows how that's going to be? Maybe they end up being somebody who survives heaven, but through fire. You don't know. You do everything onto the Lord and let the Lord work it out. But that's who you're doing it for. You're not doing it for these people over here or these people over here or for externals. And he's, he's saying all these things because, once again, they are all into their guy, whoever their guy is. Everybody has, uh, like, that I know has, like, a favorite preacher. Oh, I listen to this guy on the radio, or I listen to this guy's podcast, or we have these, these favorite. I mean, it's okay to have somebody that you like to listen to. That's fine. But when you put them up against Jesus, when you put them up against Christ, not going to work. That's not going to – that's never going to work. But – there are people who go, oh, do you accept? And I'm, I'm not going to pick on Mr. Calvin again. Let's pick on Mr. Arminius. Um, so there's, there's these Wesleyan churches that I grew up around, and, and they have this idea that you choose 100% your salvation. You, it's your choice. You can be in it and out of it all the time. You can kind of be like choosing God right now and tomorrow not choosing him. So if you die tomorrow and you're not choosing him, you got problems. So the motivation is choose him every day. Hopefully, it'll work out. Um, I find verses that, that say there's definitely some responsibility that we have, and there's definitely some responsibility that God has. And that's why these extremes in faith, which people generally pick one or the other, a lot of people pick one or the other, um, if, you, if, you, if you go down those men's road, you have to delete other verses. You have to delete something in your, in your scriptures. And that's why I, I just don't understand how that's not seen. And, and once again, it, it, it goes back to this point where Paul goes, hey, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Joseph Arminius? Who's Martin Luther in the scheme of things? Who are these guys? Who's Peter later on? Of course, I'm up against it time-wise, so we have to keep moving. Um, so he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Isn't that enough? Isn't the fact that, see, if the Israelites knew what you and I know, they'd be baffled because they saw only the high priest ever approach God one day a year for a short period of time. And sometimes those guys died because they weren't, they weren't properly prepared the way God wanted them to be prepared. And God's righteous anger is indeed justified, and it can't be around sin. It, like, consumes it. It's, like, it's not like, oh, I didn't want to do that. It's just that's, that's what it does. God's a righteous, just judge and he sent christ to save people so people don't have they have no it's not like they don't have an excuse i mean romans chapter one read romans chapter one if you if you never walked into a church you still are responsible to look at this planet and go somebody must have made it it didn't just bang into its into it into itself and create life um although there's people who believe that it's hard to believe that takes a lot more faith i would tell you um, but he says, the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. And that doesn't sound like a God who's just messing around. It doesn't sound like a God who's like, well, you know, I like that guy though, so he can do that stuff. But this guy over here, I don't like this guy, so I'm going to punish him. No, God is pure justice all the time. He's not a judge who can get bought off like the judges in our world. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? 
uh, quickly. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So that's a very interesting verse. So how do we, how do we become wise, then become kind of a fool so we can become wise? Well, it's very, very simple. To believe God in a world where Satan is very, very influential seems foolish. To believe that God has done what he did through Christ, for some people, they go, virgin birth, died on a cross, resurrected on the third day. Mm, That's really hard to believe. Harder to believe than the planets smashed into each other and yielded this? Which one's harder? I don't know. It's just, I've never seen a car accident that great things happened right afterwards. If we just wait, the accident will become something great in four billion years. I don't know. I've never seen it work that way, but I guess maybe we should wait. But let him be a fool that he may become wise. There is so much to this. I don't have tons of time, but I will say this on this verse. Let a person become what the world considers a fool. You're a fool. Why? Because you give your life to another who says that that's the right, the right way. The, the right way is surrender. The right way is to yield. The right way is to go, not my way, but your way. You know, we don't, we don't think that's very wise. You know, we, we think that we should live our lives to the fullest in whatever way we want to live it. That's the wisdom of the age. That was the wisdom of their age, the same wisdom of today. But that, make no mistake, when, once again, when you become wise, spiritually speaking, you have this, there's a humility to you that where you can, where you can take criticism, maybe something you consider like, well, I think that person kind of had it wrong. That's okay. People have it wrong all the time. But that you don't react in the same way that you used to. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. Now, wise is is a funny word, right? Because what we're talking about is Satan's wisdom. Satan is the the angel of death, if you will. He's the he's the um, he's the worship leader of heaven that wanted to share in God's glory, and God will share His glory with no one. Not certainly not an angelic being that He made. And so, in the end, Satan believes that he was right, and he fell. And he got a third of the angelic realm to, to, to um, leave with him. And now they are very much working in this world to try and, because misery loves company, get as many people to destroy themselves and get as many people with them to death as possible without saying yes to Jesus. That's what he's up to. But people that think they're wise, people that, that are completely self-absorbed, he catches them in their own craftiness. Basically, it's like a big net for lazy people, if you will. Just kidding. Not lazy people. But he catches the wise in their, in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. When Solomon was struggling the most in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you read that book, that book does not read like traditional scripture. Uh, on some level, if you read it and you don't know anything about it, you're like, man, this is like not jiving with the rest of the Bible. This is really depressing. It's because Solomon was the man of wisdom, but he used the wisdom to pursue flesh, to pursue carnality, and it destroyed him. At the end of his life, it was not good. Just read that book. I mean, it's not very long. But 
but Solomon in those, like he's like, well, but, but I'm so wise, I can be the one that, did, that does it. I'm the one that can, can figure out how to make himself happy with the pleasures of this world, with the creature comforts. And God knows how futile, and I believe he ended the book with like a sentence that said, follow God and obey him. That's all I can say. Smartest guy that's ever lived. Wisest guy that's ever lived. Tried every single thing and more than you and I will ever have access to, to try to make himself happy. And he made himself completely unhappy and miserable. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Very, very quickly. First, kind of closing thought. In any church, there can be division. In any church that's ever been a church, house church, small church, medium, large, mega, 25,000 and up, there can be division. doesn't have to be, but there can be. There likely will be. But I'm sure there's been a few churches where there wasn't huge, huge division at some point in their life. There, were, there, there will always be disagreements with people. People will always disagree. If I surveyed you and I said, hey, I'm buying lunch, Today, for all of you, let's go to a restaurant. You guys just pick it. We're going to get the phone book. We're not going to get one restaurant, I promise you. And that's why I won't have to buy. Because the caveat is, I'll have to agree quickly. And you won't. That's okay. Some people are like, let's go to the vegan juice butt. And some people will go, hey, In-N-Out's great. And some people go, eh, their fries taste like packing peanuts. And they do. Sorry, the shakes are fantastic, by the way. This is unavoidable, the division, the disagreements with people, it's unavoidable. The question becomes, can they work through it in a spirit of humility? Not assuming they're wise, not assuming that they're brilliant, not assuming that their way is the only way, if the way is not Christ's. Secondly, whatever denomination you find yourself a part of, and even some non-denominational churches are now a denomination, that is a denomination now, not everyone, but there are a lot that are non-denominational and they have an alliance But if you're a follower of Christ, you need to recognize that churches did not start out fragmented like they are today. They did not start out that way. Now, did they get there quickly? Probably, within a few years. I'm sure there were sects that broke off of, well, who knows, the the church after this one. Maybe that one broke off because it was like, well, we're going to be Apollos Bible Church. Okay, sorry, guys. Uh, don't, Don't go away mad. Just go away. That's what Chuck used to say to people who wanted to start a different church. It's a great line. But if you're a follower, you need to know that. Not somebody who just loosely is like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just a part of like all churches. I'm spiritual. I go to a different church every week. And sometimes I go to churches that preach that Jesus is a demon. And some, sometimes I go to a Baptist church. And sometimes I go to a Calvary chapel. And some, I'm not talking about that kind of a person who's just maybe a universalist or maybe agnostic. I'm talking about a, a person who's made their decision to follow Christ, knowing that Churches did not start out like this. They were just churches that, follow or, that followed the foundation, that followed the footer, that followed the pad, that followed the cornerstone. They didn't start out, but you give people years and you give people fighting and you give them some time and they'll be like, you know, we don't need Paul anymore. Paulus is kind of our guy. Paul left. I'm mad. Okay, well, Paul's not, that wasn't his call to stay in Corinth. His call was to start 50 churches. So don't be mad at him. That's his call. Lastly, and I don't have time to to get into it, but Romans chapter 14 and 15 are a great uh, couple of chapters to read if you want to 
read in on this this uh, theme. But I want to close with a quote that many of you guys know. I, got, I believe the guy's name is Rupertus uh, Melanidas or Meldonius, I think. He said, "In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; and in all things, charity." That is what we're called to do with other brothers and sisters that are in other churches. If it's an essential, we have to be unified. Even if that church is a Baptist church and you're a Calvary Chapel or they're a Lutheran church. If you guys believe the same essentials, then you should have some kind of unity with a, a person from a different church. You, could be able to be, you should be friends with them. You should break bread with them. But if it's a non-essential, like, well, we do communion, you know, seven times a week. Um, okay. I mean, that's not essential, but okay, that's cool. You know, don't judge us. No, no, we would never judge you. We just like to do it all the time. Okay, great, bro. But in every single thing to be charitable toward, toward other true brothers and sisters. Once again, if something's heretical or if it's a church that's preaching just like craziness, don't even give it another thought. You're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are like, hey, man, we love Jesus. Yeah, we do too. We're, we're Emmanuel Baptist. We're, we're the church across the street that meets at, at the high school. We're the church down the street. Awesome, bro. How can I pray for your church? How can I, like, how can I be like a cheerleader for you? That's what we're called to do instead of all the backbiting and all the fighting and all the, well, you guys don't, uh, you know, you're not really real Lutherans. You don't love Martin Luther. Okay, I don't really know tons about him. He's not Jesus, is he? He wasn't in the text today, was he? I didn't see his name in there. We have all these people. The one thing that really, really bugs me is we have all these people that are like huge, huge names from the past and we like, we like throw them up on Jesus' stage, and they shouldn't be. It's like, great, you want to read Martin Luther? That's awesome. Good, bro. Don't bring it up here and preach from Luther, please. And don't call it a church if you do that. You guys want to like have, have stogies and, and sit at a coffee shop and read about Luther and talk about how awesome he was? Great, awesome. But don't, don't hurt another believer that does, it's like, who is Martin Luther? Oh, you have so much to learn. You need to buy a pipe and come listen to us. No, bro, like, just let them be. Like, people need to understand that the essentials are the essentials, and everything else is a non-essential. I'm sorry to say, John Calvin is a non-essential as it comes to the Bible itself. Now, John Calvin had a truckload of great stuff, a, a lot of great stuff. If you read it, there's a lot of great stuff. That's awesome. But to mention his name that much, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to put, you know, Chuck Smith up on the... Calvary Chapel founder up on the stage. Well, Chuck's just like Jesus. Chuck would have never wanted that. Trust me. Chuck was mad when he got a auditorium full of Calvary guys who recognized his ministry. He's like, you guys just put me back five chairs in heaven. That's what he said. You guys just literally robbed me of my reward by putting me up on the stage and honoring me. It was hilarious, but typical Chuck. Um, all right. Once again, way over. Um, Father God, we thank you uh, for time in your word. I do, uh, just pray that we would be gracious um, with people that are uh, different, that have different um, denominations. God, if they are uh, on the same page with us uh, as it pertains to the gospel, that, that we would be uh, on the same page, that we would be uh, fighting the war in the same direction. Um, God, help us to be um, wise in the way of the scriptures and not necessarily wise in the way of the world. God, help us to be humble Help us to be people that can, can have a conversation. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.